Trigger warning. Our guest today is not a comedian, and he is not a typical dog trainer, so don't at us. This is a badass dude that trains badass dogs. He's a former Navy SEAL, and he trains Navy SEAL dogs, mostly Belgian Malinois, that are crucial in catching the bad guys. And he's also the author of the book, Navy SEAL Dogs, and the founder of Warrior Dog Foundation and owner of Tricos Dogs. And even more germane to this conversation, he is also the guy that went super viral for this clip. Enjoy. Thank you, and thank Nero for your service. I appreciate it. Absolutely. If, if I could, could I throw a PSA out real quick? Real quick. Uh, just the the remarkable nature of these dogs and, and them being highlighted in the news creates a, a huge demand by people that, that frankly shouldn't have them. If uh, if you see the the coverage and you decide I want one of these dogs, either buy a finished trained, uh, you know, fully trained and, and finished dog from a professional, uh, or just just don't get one at all. Um, and Epstein didn't kill himself. I'm Dr. Lisa Lippman. And I'm Richie Redding. She is my veterinarian girlfriend. And he's my comedian boyfriend. Welcome to We Don't Deserve Dogs. You, sir, have managed to marry together uh, two of my favorite topics in the world, which is dogs and Epstein didn't kill himself. Yeah. I mean, it was totally off the cuff, honestly. Everybody thinks I, you know, it was either a bet or, I, you know, somebody put me up to it or whatever. The the PSA thing at the end of me saying, you know, if, if you are hell-bent on getting one of these dogs, either get a trained professional dog or just don't get one. Uh, but, the, yeah, the Epstein didn't kill himself comment. Uh, honestly, <laughs> it, it, was, it was me kind of being irritated with how short the interview was. And, you know, it, it was three really basic questions that everybody asks. And I, I figured of all the interviews that I had done that week uh, in regards to that story that that Waters would have been the one guy that would have gone a little deeper and taken it a little more serious and he was actually the the least that way so I was just I was kind of pissed off yeah and, and and that's just on my on my way into the interview I saw a bunch of funny Epstein didn't kill himself memes and it just it was a total off the cuff like that's what I thought of to kind of mess with him as we were wrapping up the interview and that was it yeah so you know and then I, I was not anticipating number one I didn't think they would keep it in because it was pre-recorded so uh-huh. hats, hats off the fox for leaving it in there but uh you know the the after effects (laughs) of the uh virility with which it it went public uh i I was not expecting either so pretty wild week it was amazing uh and i i'm neck deep in that whole thing this is i've i have mentioned it on every episode of this podcast i think and it has nothing to do with that whatsoever (laughs) by the uh, way you you are an epstein expert now i assume because everybody just wants to talk to you about it and i'm gonna take uh uh-huh Listen to True and On podcast, people. That's what I would yeah, say. Yeah, I mean, like even Jesse, after the uh, right after we wrapped the interview up, uh, he was like, "Hey, hang out, you know, have him hang out yeah. for a second. And so I, <laughs> I stayed there, and he got on, and he was like, "Hey," he's like, "What was that all about?" And I was like, I, "I was fucking with you. What do you mean, you know?" And uh, he was like, "Do you know something I don't?" And I was like, "What? Well, probably, knows. but not yeah. not as far as this goes." Yeah, and. Uh, you know, he was just like, well, if you if you hear anything, you let me know. I was like, dude, it was a joke. Calm Hilarious. down. So as you said uh, just now and, and also in that clip that that uh, that 
the dogs that you work with are not pets. They are they're soldiers, basically, right? Yeah. Well, generally speaking, I, I would say that uh, overwhelmingly so. The individuals, and, and it does kind of boil down to the individual dog. Most of them, um, you know, the, the majority of the genetic working traits that contribute to a dog being a phenomenal working dog coincidentally make them terrible house pets. Uh, yeah. Now, having said that, there are examples, and that's why I, I threw that PSA in there. I mean, I, I do sell a handful of personal protection dogs uh, every year um, that that are kind of that really nice mix, but they're they're outliers. They're absolutely exceptions breed wise you know they they are just enough dog to do the work and be able to neutralize threats if if necessary but they're social enough amicable enough uh, environmentally and temperamentally sound enough to be able to be integrated into a house that, that may have other pets or young children or you know just be kind of a normal suburban affluent living environment so in those cases um you know yeah those dogs are, are a good mix but they're also three, three and a half years old have, you know, years and thousands of repetitions of training. Uh, you know, they're, they're at the pinnacle of, of both the pr- their prime in terms of, uh, you know, physicality, mental maturity training, you know, they're, they're at their peak, they're, you know, Michael Jordan in his prime. And so it's, even if you were to take one of those dogs that genetically has that good balance and, and dump them into some, uh, you know, civilian lay person that that's not a professional trainer with a lot of experience, you know, yeah. put them in their hands, they're, they're still not going to end up with that same product um, because there's a lot of nuance to, to training, you know, to, to capitalize on that genetic balance that most people are going to miss and screw up, frankly. And, and one thing I, I hate to see is ultimately dogs end up suffering when something like that happens. And there's this huge boom of popularity and interest in in these high high drive sexy dogs that were in john wick three or uh you know in the movie <laughs> max or, or whatever and people are like damn i want one of those you know it's like we'll realize that that nine seconds of footage in that film took four years to get ready for wow, you know yeah. i mean it, it's the and the stuff that they're doing in most of those movies is about as unrealistic as what the humans are doing so mm-hmm. very choreographed you know rehearsed thousands of times to get, you know, the exact behavior out of the dog, exactly how they want it in that environment, in that situation with those people, you know, and, and just like acting, you know, the dogs are acting also, and, and it's not uncommon for them to have seven, eight, 10 dogs, different dogs mm. to fill one role because, you know, this dog is good for close-up scenes. This dog is good for action stuff. This dog is good for the athleticism. This dog is good for, you know, sensitive temperament stuff, yeah. you, you know, and, and so just like, you know, an actor has stunts and doubles and, and people doing different stuff with the dogs, it's no different. And, and for whatever reason, people seem to be lost on that. I would like to take a step back, Mike, though, and hear about how you got how you got to where you are, basically. What a little bit about maybe your history of growing up with pets and then how you found your way into dogs and training. Sure. Yeah. So I, I grew up in Iowa, uh, you know, a, a kind of a typical um, suburban slash rural setting. Um, and, you know, in Iowa, bird dog hunting is, is pretty big. Uh, and so, you know, we had a lab growing up and I had lots of friends that um, – them and their fathers did a fair bit of duck hunting. And, and so I was around, you know, bird dogs and, and them training, flushing, retrieving, et cetera. And, and even at an early age, I, I really kind of marveled at, um, you know, those dogs' ability to both use their nose and also push through 
you know, some pretty challenging environmental factors to, to get that job done. And, and I, for sure, it was uncommon for, you know, an eight, nine, 10 year old kid to, uh, you know, to, to think those types of things about dogs. And then once uh, I was actually 12, 11, 12, when we got our first dog, uh, you know, but prior to that, seeing, you know, friends working with their dogs, fascinated by it. And then once we had ours, just something as dumb as like being on a walk and in the middle of winter in, in Northern Iowa, and, you know, the dog is snaking back and forth and you see him tip his head up and air scent and then he you know snakes back and forth and then a head snap and body change and bam and then he starts digging and there's like a used ketchup packet four inches under you know ice <laughs> and snow and you're like how is that possible you know I, I just marveled at stuff like that and and uh just their athleticism and their ability to do that type of stuff i remember uh, being blown away as a kid by seeing a lab diving for a duck and it yeah it, it was it was november and it was swimming for 15 minutes diving yeah. and, yeah, and, and, and and would not stop until it yeah. came up with that bird. No, absolutely. And, and breaking through, you know, thorny bushes and, you know, breaking ice to get into the water, retrieve stuff. And, and again, you, you know, flush it, using their nose to flush them out. And then once the, you know, the game is, is dispatched and they're, you know, using their nose and air scenting and, and direction finding to, to locate it, soft mouthing it, bringing it back and dropping it. I mean, it, it's a pretty amazing uh, set of complex behaviors that we as, as mankind have bred raised and trained and kind of built into into these these dogs and and if you pick any working variety that that is bred for a specific working purpose like that it's it's equally fascinating and remarkable uh moving forward uh i joined the navy and i got into hog dogs uh for a little while and and similarly hog dogs dogs, catch dogs i was i was fascinated by you know a 45 50 pound catch dog that that would be willing to go dive head first into a you know a wild boar with four inch tusks and, and outweighed it by four or five times. And that dog just with brazen courage would just go head first, like, like it was his job, obviously because it was, but for me, the, the parallel between that mentality of, uh, of that animal doing that and what I was doing for a living and being a, a, a seal, um, you know, w- was a, a pretty, close parallel. And, and so for me, I, I, I was fascinated and, and more than anything, just truly respected and appreciated that dog's ability to do stuff like that and, and desire to want to do it. Even if it, if those genetic tools had been essentially manipulated by mankind over, you know, dozens of generations to, to have that funneled high level of reckless abandoned prey drive, uh, it, it's still remarkable. Uh, you, and so you might be the first person I've ever heard to, to say that they saw a hog dog and like could relate to it yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> from a well, personality yeah. standpoint. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, going into a foreign country where, you know, there's a building filled with armed, you know, gunmen that, that, you know, are, are actively trying to take your life and you're going to go kick that door in and try and, and try to take theirs instead. Yeah. That's not for everybody, um, you know, and, and uh, nope. neither is, you know, for, if you look at the, the percentage of dogs that, that have those uh, compilation of, of character traits uh, genetically that are going to go do that with a wild animal that, that uh, outweighs them, you know, and and is far superior physically that they're still going to go in there with supreme confidence is, uh, again, I just, yeah, it was a parallel. I could appreciate it. Yeah. So could we just back up for a sec that, uh, I want it, it just explain to Lisa the, the moment of the, the first mission that you went on when you had a Malinois at like on the point 
and yeah. realize that you always wanted to go on missions with dogs. And did you have to play your own veterinarian at some point? Yeah. When well, you were on? so yeah, here, so here's another kind of distinguishing mark that uh, you know a lot of times gets uh, misrepresented. That is important to clarify again within the industry. People are very particular about these types of things. Is that how I got started into being interested in these dogs was on a deployment to Iraq, where we actually it was the absence of of a dog that piqued my interest is that oh. there was, a, there was a dog, uh, in the same area that we were operating with some Marines that, uh, that essentially saved a number of them. Uh, it's, it's a story I talk about in, in the book where that, that, that was my light switch moment of, you know, me thinking like, okay, wait a minute. Like we've been in the same operational scenario, God knows how many times. And we, we've never had a dog with us. Why not? Uh, you know, this dog found a, a booby trap, a, a, gr- a clump of uh, hand grenades, pressure switch booby trap inside of a doorway of, into a, ca- a little cave complex and uh, unquestionably saved a number of Marines lives. And, and I wasn't even there for it. I, I heard about it because oh, they were in the okay. area. Yeah. And so for me, that that was my, okay, you know, slap in the face, like we need to be doing something. I, I want to get involved with these types of dogs. And so it wasn't until several years later uh, where we really had dogs on a regular basis, uh, and especially like, like they do now where, you know, the, the more hotbed areas are, are pretty much always going to have a dog with them. So, uh, it, it was because we didn't have them that got me going into them. So, you know, when I was operational back in the early part of the Iraq war, we didn't have dogs. And so, um, you know, that's, that's why I'm here today. I, I, I wish I had that feeling of, of going outside the wire and having okay. a dog on point, but because I didn't, uh, you know, that's why I'm so, so involved with it now. So I want to get into, well, first of all, you you know, you said that they're dual purpose dogs, which in your language means that they have to detect and apprehend. And then you also say that you're looking through for three things, prey drive, hunt drive, and aggression towards humans. And um, I think those three things that you're looking for is is what underlines why these are working dogs that would make horrendous pets if you can to the average person if you could uh, yeah. go through those things the first thing is is sociability temperament confidence you know when when i get a dog out of a crate or out of a kennel run or out of somebody's vehicle or, or wherever i'm evaluating that dog just how that dog initially comes out tells you a ton about that dog. Uh, and it's not uncommon for me to fail a dog in the first three seconds of, of seeing it. And then if that dog is years back, it's reluctant to come out, put them back, close the door. I'm not interested in even looking at them. Uh, because if, if they're that way with that, there's going to be a number of other environments where that dog's going to shut down and not be able to do the type of work that, that we're going to need them to do. So that dog needs to barrel out of there. Uh, you know, basically like he owns the place and, and grew up wherever, wherever we're at. And I'll purposefully have them, you know, meet me or take the dog somewhere where you can reasonably ascertain that the dog has never been, or at least not spent a whole lot of time at so that it's a more neutral environment and, and, um, discloses at face value, their genetic traits a little better. Walking in dick um, first, if you will. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. No. Hold, <laughs> holding their nuts too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, you don't but, have to you know, keep so, it clean for us. Yeah, that's good. I don't, I, I, I don't keep it clean. So that's refreshing. <laughs> good enough. Um, but, uh, you know, so the, there's, there's that. And then, you know, just kind of how you size them up. I mean, really no different than two dudes at a bar would size each other up in, in a matter of speaking is that, 
you know, I'm going to look at him. I'm going to make eye contact. I'm not going to be overbearing with it and try to pick a fight, but I want to see kind of how he sizes me up. And there's a lot of little nuanced uh, behavioral mechanisms that a dog either does or doesn't do that tells you a lot about where their head's at and, and how socially confident they are or not, uh, how socially competitive they may be or not. And, and little things like that, that I'm going to do that, Frankly, you need to see uh, more so than me try to explain it, but know that there's a lot that goes on there in just that first minute or two of interacting with a dog and, and kind of seeing how they carry themselves. Number three uh, is just taking one of those reward type objects and essentially, you know, gauging the dog's desire to want to chase, uh, you know, a ball or a tug or a a Kong or, or what have you. And, and it needs to be just absurd, you know, over the top, almost unmanageable drive to want to possess, you know, a, a tennis ball or, or what have you. Like how long in that initial test, like how long do they have to try to get a tennis ball from you? So, to, I mean, to impress it, it, you. I mean, really just a couple of minutes because, you know, I've been doing it long enough to where, you know, just holding it, you know, his initial response to to me presenting it or even it being uh, within uh, smell shot of, of the dog, I, I want to see, you know, how he reacts and then he should just lose his mind, basically. Uh, if he does, then I'll do certain things like hold it in my hand and put it right in his face. Is he going to try to bite my hand to get to it or clack his jaws, at least go after it? Is he going to bounce and bark and, and shiver and whine and scream and and spin around and, and bounce and, and do everything he can to try to get that that's what i'm looking for as a dog it's just it's almost <laughs> unmanageable uh where where the dog stops thinking clearly and, and that prey drive really overrides you know their their cognition and they and they just you know they react because genetically they're hardwired to do so so it, it's really only a couple of minutes because if they're not doing that um then they're just not going to be enough you know so uh, if they are doing that, then again, I've seen it enough times to where I, I can gauge like, yeah, that that's at a level where I know I can work with that or it just isn't and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, so moving on to number four is hunt drive, which is where now I'm taking these objects and holding the dog back by the collar, throwing them in deep brush or, or in a uh, cluttered garage, spin them around a couple times, let them go. I want to watch him use his nose to hunt, uh, use the airflow if it's wind outside or, or a fan in a garage or whatever is that, you you know, he's not using his eyes to hunt. He's, he's air scenting and trying to find it with his nose. I'll want to see him hunt for a couple of minutes, uh, you know, do multiple uh, retrieves that way. But again, you know, after you've been doing it a while and you've selected dogs that have made it and selected dogs that haven't made it, you get a pretty good idea how to, how to relatively quickly identify, yeah, that dog's prey and hunt and environmental stability and confidence. They're all what they need to be for me to be able to, to finish them and then be successful or not. Uh, it, it shouldn't take you out hours to conduct all this type of stuff. Um, and then moving on to the last one, which is the most elusive and difficult is that natural forward aggression. And, and that is, is a complex, um, system of, of behaviors where I'm, I'm using absolutely no contextual associated bite equipment whatsoever. And I go pick a fight with a dog while he's back tied to a fixed object. He's by himself. That he's is been sitting <laughs> Like just to a civilian that doesn't know anything about this work, that sounds like the scariest and craziest shit in the world to go into. Well, yeah, I mean it, it can be. It's intense for that's sure. That's not for the um, kids. Like, and no. so, do you have a bite suit on when you approach them this way? 
Not at first, no. So he's he's uh, on a on a tether, usually a you know eight or ten foot tether to a fixed object, um, and then I walk out there. And, and at first, and really throughout the whole process, to me, what makes a good dog a good dog is is that dog is essentially a mirror. Mm-hmm. So when I walk out there, I'm going to be confident. I'm going to make eye contact. I'm going to look at him, but I'm going to be relatively casual, neutral. I'm not going to be su- uh, super conflicted, uh, conflicted or predatorial in, in my body language or uh, yeah. super offensively aggressive or anything like that. Uh, and I want to see him do the same thing. I, I don't want to see him, you know, run out and bang the end of the line and, and be trying to kill me for no reason. I certainly don't want to see him scared. I don't want to see him overly friendly trying to get attention from me either. I want to see a, a very calculated, casual, mostly neutral response where he's kind of sizing me up and then ignoring me after that. That's an ideal response. From there, I'm going to elevate uh, my nonverbal body language. Uh, no different than imagine if I said, hey, go into this bar where uh, you're not allowed to say anything, but I want you to try and, and you can't touch this guy. Guy, but I want to try try to to have you get him to want to fight you. You know exactly what you could do to get that guy pissed and want to punch you, right? Yeah. Uh, without without saying anything, without touching him, and so essentially there are some nuanced differences between what you're going to do to a human to get that uh, elicit that response and what you do to a dog. But the the theory is the exact same: is that I'm going to use my body language and nonverbal comms to uh, to to solicit a reaction out of the dog, and he's either going to be pissed and want to fight, or he's going to be intent intimidated and he's going to decide, you know what, I don't want anymore. If he's intimidated, the test is over. Uh, he's, he's just not going to have what it takes and, and that's it. Uh, if he gets pissed, then I'm going to ratchet it up one step at a time from there. Ultimately, I'm going to go make contact with him and, and uh, put my hands on him a little bit and, uh, <laughs> you know, basically, you know, get, get a response out of the dog uh, to where he's, he's trying to bite me because I'm messing with him. Um, and, and at that point, now I know, okay, he'll defend himself. He's genetically got what it takes backbone wise to say, you're, you're not going to, you know, punk me out or bully me at that point now i run uh into my garage and i I throw a bite suit on and i hide and then whoever's been handling the dog whoever he's most comfortable used to with walks up and just unleashes the dog doesn't say anything just lets him go and at that point i want to see him hunt to try to find me now he's pissed he's taking it personal he wants to see where i'm at the one key concept here is to this point, he still has seen absolutely no bite equipment. So there's, there's not a, an equipment fixation. I am he's so felt, anxious just listening to this. <laughs> yeah. He's uh, no, know, he's, he's, he's sticking a fucking yeah. melon wall on you. Okay. Yeah. Well, so then I'll, you know, I'll hide in the garage. And at this point, you know, if you put yourself in the dog shoes, there's no reason for him to, to just be associated prey, you know, prey orientation wise with a bite suit or a sleeve or whatever, which a lot mm-hmm. of dogs do. And, and that can be a, a deployment failure in a lot of police and military dogs is that they're only focused on on the prey element of the equipment and they realize it's a game and it's not real and so this eliminates uh, a lot of room for error in that regard and that they're you know that dog is legitimately pissed at me for what i'm doing and there's nothing else influencing that so when he goes to try to find me that's what what his mentality is obviously i'm in the suit so that i can work the dog and and see you know how how deep his oil well goes so to speak in terms of pressure and, and whatnot but even then I'll, I'll usually have like a cardboard box or an empty uh, Clorox bleach jug or something like that. Uh, and I'll have a few different, you know, big items, gym equipment, big boxes, dog crates, just stuff in the way so that as soon as that dog rounds the corner, he runs into something and it kind of hits that uh, refresh button on his mental screen uh, 
to say, okay, you're distracted because you just ran into something. Are you going to push through that and still come to try to find me? Uh-huh. If he does, then there's one more level of commitment tested and that on his way in, I'm going to take that small cardboard box or bleach bottle or whatever, and I'm going to sidestep him and smack him with it uh, while, while he's coming in. And I, I want to make sure that, that he's committed, uh, even through physical pressure and, and a little bit of discomfort. I'm not going to hit him hard. It's just, you know, a light tap on the ribs or the, or the shoulder or, or what have you, but uh, nothing to certainly injure the dog, just a little bit of, of sting and, and just, again, test his commitment to want to come find me and, and finish the fight because that is a, a natural forward aggressive uh, behavior. And so if he, if he comes in and still engages me at that point, then the dog passes. So a, a thing that I love uh, that is, is mentioned quite a few times in the book is that like the, the reward. So when they're on a mission, they're, and they're in prey drive mode, they're trying to find something because they want that reward. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yes, absolutely. so like for the dogs that were involved in the bin Laden or al-Baghdadi missions, do you know what their reward was? Like after they call it the world's most wanted terrorist? <laughs> yeah. Well, so there's two things. Um, reward in essence, uh, when it comes to, um, detection work, you know, and this is irrespective of discipline, whether it's explosives, narcotics, bed bugs, cell phones, human remains, you name it. Generally speaking, it's some sort of reward object, prey item, like a chuck it ball, tennis ball, Kong, a tug, you <laughs> know, ball so on a string. So, yeah, something like that. Well, and that's why, you know, again, to, you know, to expect the dog to go hunt for hours, for, you know, specific explosive odor or narcotics odor or whatever, you know, and not get rewarded and have to sit there and snake back and forth and use the wind and search and search and search mile after mile just to get to play with a ball. Um, (laughs) That dog has to have absurd prey drive to be able to do that. And so that's why we we evaluate and test the way that we do. But um, so, you know, when it comes to detector work, that is their reward is that they're going out to look for whatever target odor we've taught them. Uh, and if they find it, then we'll play ball with them. And so half, <laughs> get a ball. Yeah, half of it is, is the reward object itself. But from my perspective, um, you know, good trainers and good handlers make the game at least as much about them and the, and the interaction with them. So, you know, a tug, a ball on a string, and we're going to play tug and we're going to sit here and we're going to play together with this object and tug on it and I'll throw it for you and you bring it back and we wrestle and, and, you know, spend a couple of minutes with that engagement piece. You know, if you've got a really good relationship and, and foundation and trust built with that dog, then that should be a big part of the reward too. It's not just you're a Pez dispenser throwing reward objects for the dog. And when the dog comes back to you, he gets it for nothing yeah. uh, or, or doesn't have to in, engage with you, but that that's a big part of it. So, so on the detector side, that's it. Yeah. Um, on yeah. the on the bite side, it's the reward is the bite. Get to bite um, some goddamn body. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It is. And, and, you know, the, one of the, the challenges is when with a dual purpose dog in those environments where they're doing both, getting a dog to, you know, say do a, a four mile uh, patrol in, you know, searching for explosives. And then he goes into a building and nukes some guy and fillets his hamstring open. And then now, okay, let's go out. Okay, now go back to searching for bombs. That, that's hard to get that bastard to focus on that because uh, he's wound up. He wants to bite that. That reward value for the bite is, is the highest reward value. You, that, that you're going to have in a dog like that is the pinnacle of jackpot for uh, for these working dogs with without question so to, to reiterate not pets 
For uh, sure not, Pets. So, and again, unless unless you find that anomaly that it has a lot of training, and, and the way I do it, I integrate it into the into the family, into the household, into that environment. I spend several days with the client, and uh, after I've spent you know months or years with the dog, and and you know, and then I'm on call basically to help out with any issues. But and I've been very successful in doing that. I've I've sold you know quite wow. a few dogs over the last twelve years, uh, you know, implementing that that process and doing it the way that I do it. Uh, you know, with, with overwhelming success and, and customer satisfaction, but uh, it's very time consuming. It's expensive. And, and the owner has to take it serious too. It's, it's not a robot. It's not Velcro. That's just oh God, yeah. pre pre-programmed, you know, they have to put in some work also. Uh, so just getting back to the, uh, to the reward thing is the picture in my head now of like during zero dark 30 is that layer. They're like, sweeping the compound and getting dna from bin laden while the handler is playing tug of war with their dog very possible yes oh my um, god it's why yeah. was that not in the movie dude yeah well <laughs> it's such a better yeah, story yeah. they probably, oh, probably didn't have any canine consultants um oh, but yeah i mean you know it, it, what's it's funny is that you know to the dog it's kind of all the same thing i mean there's an element of of emotion that flows through human beings on a real world mission versus training that you'd you'd be a, a fool to assume that the dog doesn't recognize that having said that you know them going through training and real world stuff is is much more the same thing than it is to to us as human beings and so you're you're emulating a lot of the same things you're going to do in training with uh, with that kind of stuff so yeah i mean if uh, imagine a scenario where uh, you know a group of special operations guys is getting ready to to enter a target, uh, and they use a laser to direct the dog and search the the door seam and the windows on either side of the entry point, and they bring the dog back, and and then the handler pops out to the side with a tug or a ball on a string or a kong on a string, uh-huh. and it's like yeah, good boy, and slapping them on the ribs and playing tug while everybody goes in and, and hammers the shit out of everybody in the target. That's absolutely a reality, um, you know, <laughs> and then they can go from that to you know popping the dog out to one of the sides uh to on the on one of the flanks and and they do what's called squirter control which is you know when those guys go and enter that target the dog you know may may pump back he may go in first it just depends on what's going on but uh that dog may pop, uh, pop out to the side and uh you know when those guys go in maybe somebody squirts out the back and takes off running and now that dog is in a prime spot you just let him go and he hauls ass down and, and takes care of him so uh very effective uh augment to to troops, to, to SWAT groups, to regular cops, to, you know, you name it. Yeah, unbelievable. How, how can a dog in a, in a foreign environment know a bad guy from just a foreigner? With body language, half of it is body language, half of it is intent. But intent typically drives body language. I'll give you a quick example is that, you know, if you see somebody uh, walking through a Target parking lot uh, from 200 yards away, if they're having the worst day of their life or they just won the lottery, you're going to be able to tell that without knowing who they are, without even hearing them, without, you know, seeing them close up. If somebody's having a shitty day, you're going to know it. If they're having a great day, you're going to know it. And so think about how verbal we are as communicators. So even as verbal as we are with how we communicate, we can still have the nonverbal ability to recognize body language that strongly. Now imagine a dog, right, that they don't communicate verbally almost at all. I mean, yes, there's barking, whining, growling, things like that, but those are, are outliers 
percentage wise in terms of how they communicate. 98% of how they communicate is body language, presence, and intent. And so our ability to, to emulate that is, is key in training, but their, their recognition of that for adversarial folks uh, is the same thing. So when somebody has, has ill intent, it's not that the dog can smell that, it's that they recognize it through, you know, that, that nonverbal piece. Uh, and so, you know, the, the way that, you know, that the diet that they eat, uh, you know, socially, uh, you know, different groups of, of, that live in different areas that eat different seasonal foods that eat, uh, you know, drink, you know, local water that eat, you know, seasonal fruit that, uh, you know, eats, uh, grass fed, you know, pasture raised lamb from that area, you know, all of those things contribute to, uh, the, the odor of, of people. Um, and so, you know, different areas of people are like, they're just inherently going to smell different than right. we are. You know, yeah. we're eating American food, MREs, we've got American cotton clothes on, you know, all of those things are, are going to play a huge role. So one of the things that's a little controversial, I don't know why, uh, that, that, you know, we've done in the past is, you know, early on it was, we would take some, some clothes, uh, you know, some hijabs and, and some, I will call them man jammies. Um, you know, we, we would take some of that stuff from from the tar- from the targets, or our guys would, and and we would throw those on over bite suits and incorporate that into training. Also, so to me as a white person, it just bothers me that the bite suit is culturally appropriating. Um, <laughs> is that right? <laughs> is that right? <laughs> that sounds like a you problem. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, I think you could beat up almost every comedian that we've had on this podcast. <laughs> uh, this has been amazing, man. Thank you so much for yeah, talking. Yeah, so informative. Uh, so oh, informative. But uh, it's time to play a little game to find out if you, Mike Ritland, deserve dogs. Yeah, I doubt it. But. Okay. <laughs> you know what it is. It's time for a quiz about dogs and shit. There's a few non-dog related, which is, is not typical, but uh, sure. Schwarzenegger or Stallone? It's a serious question. Uh, in terms of them fighting, just Schwarzenegger or Stallone. However, well, I gotta go. Well, I gotta go with Stallone because Schwarzenegger's a vegan, and that shit drives me nuts. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, to me, it's criminal. He didn't get that size by not eating meat. Give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> just turned it his back the on drugs? meat. Okay. Yeah, that's no, absurd. He's got Bel- too much money and been in California too long. <laughs> Belgian Malinois or Chuck Norris? Oh, Malinois. Okay. Okay. <laughs> What could stop a Belgian Malinois and Chuck Norris? Peanut butter. (laughs) (laughs) These are multiple choice. Hold on. Uh, Only God himself or herself, depending on what part of California you're from, Mike. mm, Um, Itself. A nuclear hurricane or a Belgian Malinois named Chuck Norris? Hmm. See, I think a a Belgian Malinois named Chuck Norris, I think that – that dog's head would explode from ego. So uh, I'm going to have to go with a nuclear hurricane. Okay. Okay. Would you consider uh, naming a, a, a Belgian Malinois Chuck Norris? I wouldn't. Okay. <laughs> no, I, would. right. I couldn't do it. <laughs> I mean, it's too many syllables for starters. Like, you're, you're really going to say, Chuck Norris, come here. Well, just Chucky. in case there's another terrorist to take down, if Trump yeah. could tweet yeah, a photo sure. of uh of of putting a medal on chuck norris uh, okay totally unrelated to dogs but pulled from this week's headline this is the headline a homeless man randomly dumped a bucket of hot diarrhea on a woman's head <laughs> mike ritland u.s navy seal 
Let's say that you don't have a dog with you, and for some reason, you are completely without any situational awareness. The result is that a bucket of hot diarrhea has been dumped on your head. Do Mm -hmm. you, A, forgive him on the spot and rush to the hospital, B, pretend to forgive him, remember his face, track him down, and save up your own even bigger, even hotter bucket of diarrhea to rain down upon him like a hellfire drone strike, C, beat him to death with your bare hands as hot diarrhea drips from your face, or D, Epstein didn't kill himself. <laughs> well, first of all, Epstein didn't kill himself. Uh, but <laughs> the, uh, t- I mean, to me, can I can I have a hybrid? Can I make up my own answer? Go ahead. <laughs> all right. So, I mean, to me, if if that happens to me, number one, I'm I'm not going to ever be not paying that much attention to where that's going to happen. That's a he's very soft footed. Yeah, he's. Well, he's Got, you're gonna got, you're gonna smell it, Christ! You're uh, upwind. <laughs> but but no, what, what I would do, honestly, like, is I would tackle that guy, and I I would I would use him as a human sponge, and I would get all of it off. I would I would rub all of it back on him <laughs> as long as it took while I was beating him to death. <laughs> uh, that is correct. All right. uh, final question: Who killed Jeffrey Epstein? The Clintons? Trump? The royal family, a depraved cabal of the world's ultra-wealthy that defies our binary political structures, which is merely an illusion so that the proletariat masses will always be at odds with one another while they have sex with children, or Jeffrey Epstein. I'm going to go with uh, that incredibly obnoxiously long C answer. Um, you maybe can tie the Illuminati in. I don't know, but uh, you know for, for sure there's some shit going on. That is correct. <laughs> that is correct, uh, dude. We can't thank you enough for uh, for oh, for playing along pleasure. and answer all these questions. And uh, you have a, a for some reason when that interview went viral, your uh, your Instagram seemed to get a goose. Yeah. Uh, where can well, you, he was you? pretty. He was really pretty prolific before that. And yeah. in, and in fairness, uh, Richie had a, a, a major man Navy SEAL crush on you before. Shut up, Lisa. Uh, before, <laughs> but he didn't actually even know. He said, "Hey, we got to get this guy on the podcast." And uh, I was like, "Wait, did you act? Did you see yeah, what, he, I, what he did? He's act, an actual hero." I didn't. Well, I didn't know. <laughs> so I I I looked up. I saw an interview with you and I was like, we got to get this guy on. And then we realized you were also the guy that did the Epstein didn't kill himself thing. And <laughs> I lost, for one. I lost yeah. my shit. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, we didn't ask if you had any veterinary questions, but um, no. you, we'll save that for. We're pretty deep into this. You are obviously one. welcome to come back on anytime. And if you have any oh, veterinary yeah. questions, you know where I live. Uh, so oh, I, I appreciate it very guys, much. get and, uh, his I, books. Mike yeah, Ritland, get his books, and then where can we? Where can people find you, Mike? Right. So I appreciate. Well, first of all, I appreciate the kind words and uh, you know having me on it. Uh, to me, podcasts like this are are awesome to come on because you 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 get a chance to to speak a little more freely and and more in the weeds because most of them are kind of the same half a dozen to ten questions that everybody else asks that like Christ there's only so many different ways you can skin that cat <laughs> and, and and answer that question <laughs> that you've already answered 400 times in the last 3 years but uh, so I appreciate you know the in-depth questions and uh, you know letting me flap my gums a little deeper than than most do that's what she said well, we love anyway it. <laughs> yeah so uh, but you know in terms of where where people can find me uh, on social media, I mean, if you just really just googling my name is is probably the easiest. But um, MikeRitland.com is kind of the hub of 
of everything, whether it's speaking or dog sales or my online training, teamdog.pet, is uh, is basically a video, a series of video representations of my book, Team Dog. Um, and there's, you know, a pretty in-depth set of forums that I go in and, and answer questions every week and interact with people and, uh, you know, members, you know, hook up with each other and post videos and, and train together in some instances. And uh, we do a lot of promotions where it's a free training weekend at, at my ranch uh, from now until the first of the year uh, oh, that's wow. teamdog.pet i encourage you to check it out it's 99 bucks unlimited access for a full year um and you and you get a free t-shirt and a chance ooh, to come ooh. uh bring your dog to to my ranch where is that mike by the way where do you live uh, where's uh just outside of dallas what's your exact address okay dallas got it. Okay. <laughs> yeah i don't think it's too late to turn chloe into a seal dog is it Right. No, she's There's hope for everybody. she's a rhodesian ridgeback that's been slapped around by multiple house cats but yeah. uh, <laughs> There's, there's pretty I'm going to say the odds there. are probably stacked against her, but we'll give it a shot. <laughs> um, on, uh, in terms of social media, it's just at M Ritland uh, on Instagram and Twitter, uh, just Mike Ritland on Facebook, uh, Tricos International, Tricos.com, or just Tricos International on any of the uh, feeds. On the nonprofit side, I would ask that, you know, one of the things that I've been very passionate about, I, I started the, the Warrior Dog Foundation uh, back in August of 2010 when we took our first two uh, two dogs in. And since then, we've taken in uh, right around 170 dogs. We've got 22 wow. of them right now with five more scheduled to come in over the next couple of months. Um, and, you know, we, we are or we give these dogs uh, the ability to live out their the rest of their lives in dignity and grace and, and kind of give them the retirement they deserve to the best of our ability uh, and ultimately keep them from being euthanized. Uh, all of the dogs that we've taken in were all slated to be euthanized and, and we took them to avoid that happening. So uh, it's a labor of love. Uh, it's, it's for sure a uh, a tough spot to be in sometimes in terms of dealing with old, broken, cranky dogs with PTSD and, and a, a shitty attitude every morning. But, uh, you know, we've all been bit a number of times and it's just part of the gig. But, uh, you know, to be able to walk up and down the, the kennel facility and, and look at the dogs and, and know that every single one of them, you know, would be uh, in a box full of ashes on somebody's desk if, if we hadn't taken them uh, is something we're very proud of. And, and it means a lot to us just to be in a position to be able to offer that to them. But we do rely solely on private funding. There are no, there's no federal funding or government grants uh, to help us out with our mission. It's all, you know, through the, the graciousness and kindheartedness of, uh, you know, the, the civilian populace. Um, and we can't thank everybody enough, but, uh, but would ask that, uh, you know, anybody listening, if you want to get behind that, it's warriordogfoundation.org. Uh, and some of the dogs were able to actually rehome. So if you're in a position and, and I'm going to throw this out of there before anybody gets their panties in a bunch is that if you have other pets, if you have young kids, if you don't own your home and don't have a privacy fenced in backyard, don't bother applying. Uh, those, those stipulations uh, are there for a reason uh, and because it's been learned the hard way by far too many people, um, you know, to, to break those rules. And so while I appreciate everybody's willingness to, to rehome dogs, if you're not in a position that's conducive resource and logistics wise to take one of these dogs on, not what you think is capable, but what we think is capable. Um, <laughs> what do you I think about that. a frat house possibly? Would that work? No, that, no? well, I tell you, if you put a GoPro on the dog and, and do big brother style camera in the house, I would say I'm, I'd be all for it. Be good for one episode. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one episode per season, but uh, yeah, I would, I'd be all for it. And that's that, Warrior Dog Foundation. 
Org. That's great. We will do. Yeah. All right. So cool, man. Thank you so much, Mike. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to We Don't Deserve Dogs. I'm Richie Redding. And I'm Dr. Lisa Lippman. Yeah. And you can find both of us at our respective handles, those exact names, at Richie Redding, at Dr. Lisa Lippman. And uh, I just want to give special thanks to our editor, of course, who is Jordan Aaron, and our executive producer, King Joffrey himself, Jeff Umbro, of The Podglomerate. And you can find more of their shows at thepodglomerate.com. Some of the music in this episode comes from Breakmaster Cylinder. Make sure to check out the sponsors you heard in this episode because that really helps provide the show to you free of charge. Let them know we sent you. It also really helps people to find the show if you rate and review on Apple Podcasts or share an episode on socials. Tag us at We Don't Deserve Dogs and let us know what you thought. We'll see you next week when we return with another episode of We Don't Deserve Dogs. All content provided on We Don't Deserve Dogs is for informational purposes and entertainment value only. None of the content on We Don't Deserve Dogs is intended to constitute third-party veterinary advice or any other third-party professional advice. The content We Don't Deserve Dogs distributes or transmits should not be considered as a substitute for any type of professional veterinary advice. Nothing on We Don't Deserve Dogs is intended to be used as a veterinarian's diagnosis, veterinary treatment, or any other veterinary service and should not be relied on to affect the medical therapy of any pet. Nothing transmitted to or from We Don't Deserve Dogs can replicate a true doctor-patient relationship between yourself and a veterinarian. Your dependence on the content of any information found on or transmitted by We Don't Deserve Dogs is at your own risk. For veterinary care and advice, please see your veterinarian. The Podglomerate. A Sonic Universe.